You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning. <laughs> if you don't know me, I'm Scott Lamb. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, Mike Hartle is taking some time off, which we do for our pastor uh, several weeks during the year just to give him a break. We don't want to burn out our pastor. So, so you can pray for him that, that he'll just be refreshed and rejuvenated and he'll be back not next week but the week after. Uh, I do want us to keep in mind um, Wanda Weaver and the Weaver family. Some of you may have heard that uh, Wanda lost her grandson Austin to a drowning accident. So just ask that you keep them in your prayers during this time. The study I decided to do today is on, uh, it's kind of an excursus from Exodus that we're going through, but this is on sacred space. Uh, I'd heard about it a while back and just wanted to do a study on that, of what that meant, what sacred space means to us. So it kind of goes along a little bit with what we've been going through in Exodus, but I'll be kind of zipping through the Old Testament on different instances of sacred space in the scriptures. And then we'll look at what it means to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Your word just guides and directs us on how we should live for you, Lord. And we ask a special prayer for Wanda Weaver and the whole Weaver family, that you'd be with them, that they would cling to you, cling to each other, and that they would experience your comfort, Lord, as a great comforter, and that you would give them peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is sacred space? When was sacred space introduced into the world? Where was it located throughout history, and where is it now? Some of you may already know the answers to these questions, but I want us to know, how do we apply the concept of sacred space in our lives? Why did God provide sacred space for us in our relationship with him? First, I want us to review some main events of the introduction of sacred space into this world. In the new creation, God plants a garden in Eden. And in Genesis 2, we read, let me read it here. (laughs) The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden 
and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The river is important in this narrative of the garden. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, calls Eden the garden of God. In Ezekiel's vision of the temple, life-giving waters are flowing from the temple, just like a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and split into four great rivers to water the land around it. In the prophet Zechariah's vision, living waters flow out of the New Jerusalem where God reigns. The psalmist says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. And again we read in Revelations, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God, and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The river of life flows from the throne of God. He is the source of all life. This is important to know because the Garden of Eden was not just a place for Adam and Eve to live. This is where Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, the creator of all life. So we look at Genesis 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God was walking in the garden. What did he look like? We do not know. Why were Adam and Eve hiding from him? Because earlier they had disobeyed God. And after God rebukes Adam and Eve, they are sent away from his presence. We read about this. So he drove the man out and the east of the garden. He stationed the cherubim and this flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. The cherubim are guardians of sacred space and the tree of life. So the first sacred space was defiled by sin, and man is sent away from the presence of God. Sacred space is where God is encountered in a special or direct way, so that this place becomes holy and set apart from ordinary space. We must recognize that the Garden of Eden was not just a garden for Adam and Eve to live and raise a family. This was the Garden of God, It was where God was present in their lives. They walked and talked with God. This was sacred space. We go next to a place where man tries to make God come come to them. Man tries to make his own sacred space. We read about this in Genesis 11. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. 
They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, we need to look at the background in the ancient Near Eastern mind, their worldview on what it means to build a tower that reaches to heaven. The tower was most likely a ziggurat. Think of a stepped pyramid. That's what ziggurats look like. The ziggurat was the most dominant building of a temple complex. It was designed to make it convenient for the god to come down to his temple, which man had built, bless his people, and receive their worship. The Tower of Babel was not built for people to go up, but for God to come down. The Tower is not to go from heaven to earth, but to set up heaven on earth. The ziggurat was a structure that was built to support the stairway. The stairway was a visual representation of that which was believed to be used by the gods to travel from heaven to earth. At the bottom was the temple where the people hoped that God would descend to receive the gifts and worship of his people. So what do you think the Lord God, the creator of the universe, thought of man's idea of creating sacred space? A sacred space created by man. God responds by confusing their language and scattering them over the face of the earth. Who creates sacred space? God, not man. Let's look at another gate to heaven. This is Jacob's dream of a ladder to heaven. If you can turn to Genesis chapter 28, starting with verse 10. 28 verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you live, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, the, previously the name of the city had been Luz. 
Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So you look back in verse 11, it says, he came to a certain place. It means that there was nothing sacred or religious about this place. Let me read a quote from Mike Ayer's book. It's called titled Astonished, Recapturing the Wonder, Awe, and Mystery of Life with God. It was just an ordinary place along Jacob's journey, and that is what makes God's appearance to him all the more striking. This God can meet his people anywhere, not just in the temples or sacred spaces devoted to him. To the Jewish mind, this is central to what it means to be God's people and to understand what God is like. All of the other nations of that time had places where someone could go to meet their God. But Israel's God was everywhere and could be met anywhere, even in ordinary places. Even the common could be sacred with this God. It is no wonder that Jacob was surprised when he woke up from his dream. He was not surprised that God met him. He was surprised God met him there. Central to walking with God in the journey of faith is the understanding that God can and does meet us in the everyday, the ordinary, and the common. Jacob realized that God had been there the whole time, and he had not been aware of it. He was waking up physically from sleep, but he was waking up spiritually as well. He's waking up to the God of his fathers, who is there with him in a common, ordinary place. Spiritual growth can be seen as simply waking up to the God who has been there all along. As we looked at verse 16, it said, Jacob said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Jacob awoke from his sleep and did not know that he was sleeping on sacred ground. He also said, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God, the gate of heaven. And he said, this stone will be God's house. Jacob named this place Bethel, which means the house of God. Jacob recognized this place as sacred space because God was there. Unfortunately, almost a thousand years later, when the nation of Israel split after the death of Solomon, Jeroboam of the northern kingdom of Israel set up a golden calf here in Bethel. So Jeroboam tries to create sacred space. Next we go into Exodus. In Exodus, we see another common ordinary place that becomes sacred. Holy ground, because God presents himself. Moses had been a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years and had probably been by this particular spot many times. But suddenly, God appears before him. If you turn to Exodus chapter 3. 
Now, Mike Hartle and Scott Barbie are currently taking us through this on the sermon series on Exodus, but I'll just touch on a few items that concern sacred space. So in Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush has not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. The God of Israel appeared to Moses through an ordinary common bush. What Moses had thought was mundane and everyday turned out to be the place from which God spoke to and called him. It became sacred space because God came there. God tells Moses that he will go to Pharaoh and lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt and that he will worship God at this mountain. And this, and this leads us to when God again appears to Moses on Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb, after the nation of Israel has been led out of Egypt. So we looking in Exodus 19, Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to start with verse 3. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God is going to make the nation of Israel holy, sacred, set apart. They will be God's very own possession among all the people of the earth. If they obey him and keep his covenant, that very same promise is for us. The Apostle Peter writes, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Through Jesus Christ, we are God's holy people. God has declared his people as sacred, set apart, to serve and worship him. Continuing on in 
Exodus 19 with verse 10, the Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. God is coming down to Mount Sinai in sight of all the people. God is declaring the entire mountain holy, sacred. No one was to even touch the mountain or they will die. Continuing on with verse 16. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Later on we read, And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Then the Lord gave Moses the stone tablets with the commandments. Now I want you to imagine for a moment God descending upon Pike's Peak. When you go out today, just imagine that, what they saw. There's a thick, dark cloud covering the top of the mountain, thunder and lightning, a loud trumpet is blowing, and then God descends upon it in fire, and then smoke pours from the mountain, and the whole mountain is shaking violently. It is as if the whole mountain is afraid that it might collapse under the presence of God. Now imagine that you are at the base of that mountain and you hear the voice of God like thunder. There's a blazing fire on top of the mountain. This is a powerful description of a mighty holy God entering the ordinary and making it sacred space. Let me give you some theological terms. God is transcendent, which means that he is holy and distinctly separate from his creation. And he is also eminent in that he is involved with his creation. He sustains it. God chooses when and where he will make his presence known. The last time God dwelled with his people was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. While the nation of Israel is in the wilderness, God declares that he will dwell among his people, his chosen people, the nation of Israel. We read in Exodus 25, God says, Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them. Then God gives very specific instructions in the building and requirements of the tabernacle. 
chapters 25 through 31 of Exodus, contains those instructions from God. This dwelling, this space, was designed not by man, but by God himself. Then God entered the tabernacle to dwell among his people. We read about it in Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night, in sight of all the house of Israel. Compare this scene with the Tower of Babel. This time, man is following God. God is choosing to dwell among his people, in a place and in the dwelling determined and designed by him. God also gives the nation of Israel specific instructions when they enter the land of Canaan, the promised land. God said, you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their Asherim with fire, and you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God, but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. And this happens a few hundred years later. King David desires to build a temple for the Lord. Now David has good intentions, as expressed in a psalm of David. You're very familiar with Psalm 27.4. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. But God answers David through Nathan the prophet. Go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? Then God tells David that his descendant will build a house for him. He says, when your days are complete and when you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the temple is built by David's son Solomon on Mount Moriah, at the very place where Abraham nearly sacrificed his son Isaac. Again, God's dwelling, this sacred space, is chosen by God, not man. Then the Ark of the Covenant is carried from the tabernacle to the temple. It happened that when the priests came from the holy place, 
the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And Solomon said, this the Lord has said that he will dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. But even after building this magnificent temple, Solomon proclaims, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Solomon understands the transcendence of God. He cannot be contained in any temple built by man. Now let's move to now to the New Testament during the time of Christ. Jesus makes a definitive impression on three of his disciples when he is transfigured before them on top of what was probably Mount Hermon. This is in Matthew 17. Turn to Matthew 17. Starting with verse 1. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. He led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. These three disciples experienced sacred space with Jesus, Moses, Elijah, and the voice of God. Peter was asking if he could make three tabernacles, which are sacred tents. But God interrupts him by pointing him to Jesus. Listen to him. They were in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God. Wherever he is, that is sacred space. Jesus instructed his disciples many times that he was going to leave them and go to the Father but he was not going to leave them alone. The Holy Spirit will be sent to them. Jesus said in a few places in the Gospel of John, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that is said to you. Again in John, when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And again in John, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. After his resurrection from the dead, Jesus appeared to the disciples, breathed on them, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
God's word states that when we repent, repent, and proclaim Jesus as Lord, we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. We see this in Romans 8. However, you you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Sacred space is where God is. If you are a child of God, then the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. Think about the sacred space that is now within you. How should we act in this world when we're always, always in sacred space? The Spirit of God dwelling within you, and He does not leave. He will never leave you. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit, but He does not leave us. It talks about this in Ephesians Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Have you sacrificed your life to God? Is your life like a fragrant aroma to him? Is it your desire to please him in everything you do? Do you guard your eyes and your thoughts knowing that within you is sacred space? The Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. We are God's children. God, our Father, says that we are to be holy because He is holy. We have been declared holy by God, and we must pursue holiness in our lives. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. 
for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What was the purchase price for us? It was Jesus' death on the cross. We no no longer own ourselves. God owns us. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit is within us individually, and he is within us corporately as the church. Peter uses the metaphor that we are living stones that are being used to build a spiritual house. Paul, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, states that we are of God's household and describes this household being built on the foundation of the scriptures with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together, built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We are not just individual temples running around. God desires to build the church of Jesus Christ. God's Spirit dwells within us, and by this, He empowers us to do the work of building the church. You have heard of the gifts of the Spirit. Various passages of Scripture describe the different gifts of the Spirit. I will not list them now, but let us look at why these gifts are given. Romans 12 states that we have different gifts and we are to use them. 1 Corinthians 12 states that the Spirit gives us different gifts as He wills for the common good of the church. And Ephesians 4 states that the gifts are given to equip us to build up the body of Christ, the church, to bring us all to maturity in Christ so that we are united in faith in the true knowledge of the Son of God. For most of my Christian life, I focused on my gift of serving others. I did not desire to be in charge or in any leadership role. I just loved to serve. Tell me what to do. Sweep the floor, clean the toilets, pick up the trash. I can do that. That's comfortable for me to do. When Rachel and I came to this church, there was a need for a fifth and sixth grade teacher. We desired to do something in ministry together, and the Lord prodded us to volunteer for this opportunity. So we ended up teaching that class for several years. A couple years ago, God gave me a desire to lead an adult Bible class, which I was able to do for a short time, something I really enjoyed doing and hope to do again. Currently, God has us involved with the youth group, and it has been exciting to hear how God is working in their lives and watch them grow in their relationship with God. Standing here today, I'm talking to you from this pulpit is not a comfortable thing for me to do. I'm always careful to preach and teach the Word of God accurately before you. When I am called to preach or teach, I lean upon this verse in 2 Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power. I also think of God's response to Moses when Moses complained to God that he was not a good speaker. The youth heard about this last Tuesday when Lee Heitman talked about it. 
The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go and I, even I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. I lean upon these promises from God. I pray to God every time I do this or any other ministry for him to work through me. I cannot do this unless I know that God wants me to and that he will empower me to do it. Now, may the Spirit of God guide you as well in the building up this church, this community of believers that belong to the body of Christ. Jesus will build his church. Do you desire to be a part of his building process? Ask him. Pray to him, Lord, I am available. Use me. Show me the needs of this church and where you want me to serve. I want to be close to you in this sacred space within the body of Christ, the church. A.J. Gordon, one of the founders of Gordon-Conwell Divinity School, told of being out walking and looking across a field at a house. There beside the house was what looked like a man pumping furiously at one of those hand pumps, those water pumps where you get water out of the ground. As Gordon watched, the man continued to pump at a tremendous rate. He seemed absolutely tireless, pumping on and on, up and down, without ever slowing in the slightest, much less stopping. Truly, it was a remarkable sight. So Gordon started to walk toward it. As he got closer, he could see that it was not a man at the pump, but a wooden figure painted to look like a man. The arm that was pumping so rapidly was hinged at the elbow, and the hand was wired to the pump handle. The water was pouring forth, but not because the figure was pumping it. You see, it was an artesian well a well with positive pressure underground, and the water was pumping the man. When you see a man who is at work for God and producing results, that is the Holy Spirit working through him. Not the man's efforts that are giving results. All he has to do, and all you have to do, is to keep your hand on the handle. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers you to build the church of Jesus Christ. Let the Spirit of God empower you to serve his kingdom. He will gift each of you according to the needs of his church. We have been declared holy by God. The Holy Spirit dwells within all believers in Christ. You have sacred space within you because God's Spirit is there. Wherever he dwells is sacred space. And he has gifted you to build his church. I want to conclude with this verse. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we have been declared holy by you as your children, as your own possession, and that you call us to holiness. Lord, we fail many times on trying to be holy, but thank you, Lord, that your spirit is within us to point us to Christ. We ask, Lord, that by your power that we can be part of building up your church. We access in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.